But it's only since the rebirth of the state of Israel that we've seen this massive flow of, of Christian support growing and growing and growing as it is, because people can't not look at the reestablishment of Jewish sovereignty here in the biblical land of Israel as anything but God, as anything but God fulfilling his promises. And if God's fulfilled all of his promises after 2000, well, it's more than 2000 years, that was since the last exile, then, then all of his promises as it relates to Israel and the Jewish people are true. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a very special guest direct from Israel. And before I introduce him, I just want to quick ask you to please keep Israel and her people in prayer. Because as always at this time of year with being Passover over there and the month of Ramadan, there the attacks are starting from the Temple Mount. Um, Palestinians from their mosque are throwing Molotov cocktails and rocks um, out the beautiful windows of their mosque, um, rocks at people and trying to injure people around them, including the police who are trying to protect the people. So the um, violence has ramped up again, which it, again, it usually does at this time. So just pray for peace and safety and protection for everyone and for the the Palestinians that God will do a work in their heart. Not all Palestinians are like this, but but there are always um, bad actors, I guess, as the the saying goes. Um, There are those who are troublemakers, but I just wanted to quick mention that. And if you'd like to know more of the details on it, because there is a lot of misinformation out there about what's happening, and you probably won't hear a lot of what you need to hear from the mainstream media either, but because there's also posts and images from the Palestinian side that say that show people out there cleaning up the rocks and saying that the Jewish people are burning the site. Um, but the truth is, and the actual footage shows that that is not the case. Actually, when they're out there cleaning up the rocks, what they're doing is they're they're picking them up and they're bringing them back in. They're restocking so they can throw them out again. So, so if you'd like some more um, truthful information, I would suggest following Amir Sarfati of Behold Israel. He has a Telegram site as well. You can follow him on Telegram or Hanania Naftali. Naftali, I'm not sure how to say his last name. He's on Instagram. He has a lot of good information and footage too, which reveals more of the truth of what is really happening. But anyway, that is not what this episode is about. What it is about, however, is a man named Jonathan Feldstein and his ministry, Genesis 123 Foundation. So a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan Feldstein was born and educated in the U.S., and he and his wife and family immigrated to Israel in 2004. So he's married, and they have together, he and his wife have six children. Now, throughout Jonathan's life and career, 
He has become a respected bridge between Jews and Christians, and he serves as president of the Genesis 123 Foundation. Genesis 123 Foundation um, is based on Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He also writes regularly on major Christian websites about Israel, and he shares experiences of living as an Orthodox Jew in Israel. Jonathan's also the host of the popular Inspiration from Zion podcast. Now, you did hear me right. I don't know if you caught that. Jonathan Feldstein is an Orthodox Jew. Perhaps you're asking the same question I did when I first heard about this ministry. I thought, why is an Orthodox Jew working to foster relations between Christians and Jews? Because that's normally not something you would see take place due to... um well, a long, long history and a lot of misconceptions and persecutions and a huge difference in our theology. Why would an Orthodox Jew be doing this? Well, I, the bottom line is it's a call from God, right? Only God can work in someone's heart to do this. So we're going to touch upon that. We're going to talk about Genesis 1, 2, 3, and we're going to talk about that gap that he is trying to bridge and what that gap contains. So it's a great episode, especially if you love Israel and the Jewish people, because, hey, as Christians, right, Israel is holy to us as well. Our faith is rooted. The roots of our faith are in Israel and in the Jewish people. Our salvation was worked out there in Israel. So, yes, it's precious to us. And also, we owe a lot to the Jewish people as far as our scriptures go. They were faithful in preserving the sacred scriptures, our Old Testament. So, very, very thankful for that as well. So, and as we know, of course, Israel is the apple of God's eye. It belongs to the Jewish people. It's been made clear throughout the book of Genesis. You find it again in, in Deuteronomy and you'll hear it mentioned in Joshua. So yes, Israel is a very special place. The Jewish people are very special to the Christians for many reasons, more than I just mentioned. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Jonathan as much as I did. So here we go. Mr. Jonathan Feldstein of Genesis 123 Foundation. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'd just like to officially welcome you to One Little Candle. I am so thrilled and I'm grateful for the privilege of being here with you. Thank you. I've learned all about your ministry. I've been studying it more since I knew I was going to do this podcast with you. And I think the ministry is just absolutely wonderful. And we will talk about that in a few minutes. Um, I would like to start out by asking you, because people are, are aware of this, how are things over there? How are you and your family doing with regards to these recent terrorist attacks? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. It kind of gets my heart rate going at a different pace. Um, it's been harrowing. It's been uh, unnerving. Um n- kind of creating a a level of PTSD. We moved to Israel at the end of uh, what was then called the Second Intifada. And in recent weeks, we've experiencing what people are referring to as a increased wave of terror. And as I've been writing 
um, in, in social media and some articles, we don't know if the wave is going to trickle out or if the wave is going to become a flood and then a tsunami, but it's been very unnerving. And, and a lot of the kinds of terror attacks that have been taking place have been unfolding on, on live TV. In fact, I, I can't recall if I mentioned to you, but while I was traveling recently, um, what's to date the worst recent attack took place during which a Christian Arab Israeli policeman was killed by the terrorist. And I went to pay a visit to express my condolences to his family. And I got so sad as I, for so many reasons, but as I heard his mother and his father and his siblings each speaking about how they were watching the news that night and watching everything unfold and just praying that Amir was okay, as we all do, but him not answering phone calls or text messages and then finding out two hours later the worst news that they could imagine. So when the most recent of the attacks took place, which was in Tel Aviv, I had my 21-year-old daughter out in Jerusalem. And naturally, as the father, I thought, okay, I, I need to know where you are. I need to know you're safe. The attack didn't take place in Jerusalem, but how do I know that there won't be one? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to go about the pace of life and focus on the blessings that we have personally and 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 biblically as a people. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that there are very real threats and lots of uh, lots of fear. I appreciate you asking the question. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Of course, you know you're in our in our thoughts and prayers. There are many here in the United States completely heartbroken and grieved over what they're seeing and hearing going on over there. So we stand with you publicly, privately. We stand with you. You know, we're grateful. Um, We cover we we covet that. We covet your prayers. And and it's and it's great to when, when you say stand with we're not alone. And, and, and I know that I and many others do feel that and we're grateful for it. Yeah. Pray for peace over there and, and peace for you. Peace for you God willing. all personally in your hearts. Um, I can't imagine and none of us can. So we are so sorry about that. Thank you. How about you, your personal story? Because you weren't always in Israel. I wasn't always in Israel, mm-hmm. but I was born to an Israeli father. And so as much as I was born into a Jewish home, I was also born into a home where my father couldn't even pronounce the name he gave me because he had an Israeli accent to the day he died. And he always called me Jonathan. So whether it was asking me if I did my homework or on on the few occasions that I might not have behaved as, as well as I should have or anything else, I had a sense of Jewishness, but also Israeliness. Mm-hmm. And since I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, I always wanted to live here. I always wanted to raise a family here. That's a fascinating vision that God put on my heart when I was a teenager myself. Uh, in fact, in fact, I was younger than my youngest son is now when I realized that I wanted to live here and I wanted to raise my family here. And it took longer than planned. Fortunately, 31 years ago, I met my wife. We're coming on our 30th anniversary. And we both had that same desire to live here. So it wasn't a complicated thing. But 
you know, when you grow up in America, life is good. Your families are there. You start your careers. You start having a family. And then it gets, you just get more um, ingrained. But fortunately, we didn't lose sight of the goal. And I will affirm that not only is it wonderful to live here, despite the threats that we just spoke about, but when my children look at what their lives would have been otherwise in America, and the fact that we made a sacrifice to come here, they frequently thank us. So it's been a tremendous blessing. Yeah, to hear your kids confirm. I mean, it couldn't have been an easy decision, was it, to uproot and and do that? Uh, Wow, it's actually so interesting. And also in light of the question you asked before, it was an easy decision religiously. It was an easy decision historically. It was an easy decision academically. We both knew that that was what we wanted, though when we when we really got into the nitty-gritty of it, it was taking place while Israel was literally blowing up during the Second Intifada. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, almost exactly 18 years ago to the week as we speak, coming to Israel on what we call a pilot trip, looking for a job. And my, I, we had five kids at the time. And I told my wife, listen, I want to go there, but I have five kids. I can't responsibly move without having a job, without having some income. And I said, I'll only do it if I can find work that week that I was here in Israel. Now, because buses and cafes were still blowing up, I made this very silly calculation that I would walk on the opposite sides of the street from the buses. So if a bus blew up next to me, I wouldn't be next to the bus. Well, that was a silly thing because buses go on both sides of the streets. And I realized that quite early on. Oops. <laughs> and, and, and there was an attack while I, just before I got here. And there were other attacks. And my wife came with our oldest. And there was a, a heart, heart attack that took place right around when they were here, but nothing while I was here looking for a job, but God heard me. I wasn't, I didn't think necessarily that I was praying, but I, I I put a line down in the sand and I said, I'm not going unless I find a job. And guess what? God can do all kinds of things. And I had two job interviews that week. I had a third the week after I came home. I, I came home with the confidence that I could say to my wife, I don't need a job now. I have the confidence that I will be able to find a job. And then uh, five months later, we had sold our house at the peak of the market. Then we packed everything up into a 40-foot shipping container. And we were on a plane with us and five children. Now, none of that was easy, but in, in, in retrospect, I, I kind of look beyond the the, the challenges. Um, I do remember, you know, five kids, anyone who's a parent knows the kids are funny sometimes. Each kid is unique. So each of my children went through their own mini traumas, picking up and leaving everything that they knew behind. The, the best quick story is about my then seven-year-old, who's now 25 and working in human resources at the Waldorf Astoria in Jerusalem. So she was seven and the plane landed. And, and if anyone listening has been to Israel knows that it's probably the only place in the world where people applaud and get emotional when the plane touches down. And we were a plane load of about 250 new immigrants. 
me and my family of seven touchdown the tears are streaming the applause is like at a at a concert and i hear a little voice behind me saying i want to go back to america put me on the next plane back to america right now and it was somewhat disheartening to realize that it was my child who said that <laughs> and then we we kind of lived with it but then i realized after the fact look she was only 7 yeah she didn't know anything about living in israel even though we kind of, uh, I'll use it in a positive way, indoctrinated her and all of our children that this is where we wanted to live. And yet we pulled her up from everything that this little seven-year-old girl had known and taken her away from all the people that she had known. So her response was entirely normal. There, there's still many, many ways in which um, there there were challenges. But when I go around the U.S. and I speak in churches and I do webinars and I host my own podcast. I always like to speak of the challenges because they're real, but the blessings are so much more. There you go. They outweigh the challenges. Yeah. That's a great story. And I, I saw the picture, by the way, on Facebook that you posted of, is that your wife? Wife in front. And you no, and, and then holding, my little one just yeah. turned 21, the one who was out that night during the recent terror attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a little three-year-old being carried down the steps of the debarking is that the word disembarking yeah, from yes. the plane yeah and and she was so little and cute that a flight attendant picked her up and carried her down and i don't know who took the picture okay. um i wasn't in it maybe i was maybe i did i don't know that was all kind of a blur but um i thought it was pretty neat i just sat there and looked at it for a while and i thought well that must be yeah. his little girl um being carried off the plane so wow time flies too <laughs> 21 indeed, now. Indeed. Um, indeed. So Genesis 123 Foundation, I have to tell you, I did not learn this till just recently, I want to say maybe um, a couple of months ago. Because I wondered now, this Jonathan Feldstein of Genesis 123, is he Christian? Is he Jewish? But when I saw <laughs> that you were an Orthodox Jew, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. Because I thought, why is an Orthodox Jewish man trying to foster relationships between Christians and Jews? And I thought, wow, this is very, very interesting. <laughs> it's like, I really want to make, you know, contact this man and talk to him and share about this ministry on my podcast. So here we are today. But here we are. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Why? Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's also not an insignificant God thing, but I can't tell you in all honesty that I realized it at the time. Um, as I said, I mentioned before, I grew up in New Jersey. I went to Emory University and spent several years living in Atlanta. After I graduated, I worked as the information officer at the Israeli consulate. Ah, it's funny how this conversation has this little thread of terrorism that was that was during what was called the original intifada. They didn't call it the first intifada. It was just the intifada because nobody knew that there was going to be a second one. Can you so tell people, I was, I'm sorry, yeah. you, intifada. Can you um, share with the listeners yeah. what that means, the definition? Sure. Of intifada, intifada is an Arabic, it's an Arabic word that means uprising. And it was sort of branded as the slight wave of terror that be, will begin, then sort of get picks up steam and gets... Um, um, co-opted by Palestinian Arab terror leaders to try and add fuel to the flame. So the, the intifada 
is typically the first one in the late 1980s was more of an active, uh, what's the word, um, grassroots form of terror with a lot of um, rock throwings and individual shootings and Molotov cocktails being thrown. Uh, it was more of a hands-on, the second intifada, which I referred to as being the what, what, what the tail end when we moved to Israel, was more co-opted by terror leaders with people actually wearing suicide bombs and blowing themselves up on crowded buses and malls and cafes. And in, in four and a half years, over a thousand Israelis were killed and, and thousands more injured. Mm-hmm. So the first intifada in the late 80s, I'm in my early 20s representing the state of Israel in Atlanta, traveling all over the Southeast, doing a lot of writing, speaking about Israel, trying to defend Israel, explain the situation. Uh, we were getting pretty badly beaten up in the media. And I will never forget it. I always have to say this man's name and hope that maybe I can find him and let him know that he was a real angel from God. Uh, a very tall, thin black man named Bill Cherry picked me up at my apartment in Atlanta and drove me to Cleveland, Tennessee. I didn't know there was a Cleveland in Tennessee. I <laughs> certainly didn't know that there was a denomination of Christianity called the Church of God, much less that they were headquartered in Cleveland, Tennessee. But Bill Cherry drove me there. I can never, ever get the image out of my head of where we parked, the way we entered the church, where I sat, and where for the first time in my life, I got a sense of why Christians, not why, but the fact that Christians cared about Israel, were supporting Israel, praying for Israel, were celebrating Israel. They, there were people wearing blue and white costumes, singing Hebrew songs. And honestly, as a young man in my early 20s from New Jersey, I didn't understand it. But I clearly understood that's where God gave me a very firm tap on the shoulder and said, Jonathan, you need to be a bridge between Jews and Christians. So fast forward, um, during my career, which has all been a nonprofit, mostly Israel-related organizations, I come to Israel and, and things start to move pretty rapidly. And I was representing a couple of different organizations where very organically Christians would show up to participate. But again, I didn't really quite understand it. And after a while... I was getting tremendous success, at least as far as my bosses would would um, measure in terms of how much dollars were being raised. And I'm going to come back to that. And tremendous grace in the sense that I, I, I think I'm the only Orthodox Jew ever to have spoken at the Billy Graham Library. I don't know if I was the only one, but one of a handful, if, if that many, who attended Billy Graham's 95th birthday party. Um, I have been writing for magazine and on their website for it may be close to 15 years now. And it's none of that's to say that I'm so important, but really just the grace that's been shown to me. And then I realized that, you know, this has to have a lot more integrity than what I term just, just a relationship where we look at you as a faith-based ATM, simply trying to get money out with no more interaction than putting in a four-digit pin code. I think we need to have relationships. We need to have understanding. There's so much more that we have in common as Jews and Christians than, than about which we, than we don't have in common or, the, or the, the significant theological differences. I don't want to ever 
um, brush over them, but, Mm -hmm. but there's so much more in common. And as I believe the only people who actually do worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we must find those commonalities. We must build them up. So after some years of working for organizations that didn't so much care about the integrity and didn't so much care about building relationships, I left and I, that was another huge leap of faith for a year. I took no income and I created the Genesis one, two, three foundation in order to build bridges, in order to do things in ways that are new and unique and meaningful that doesn't always have a dollar sign attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we pray together and I've hosted a number of virtual prayer events, there's no dollar sign. You can't monetize prayer. I mean, I guess there are people who do. But that's not honest. That's not decent. And so we've done that. And there's so many ways to find these niches, if that's the right English word, and and build upon them and just and create new dimensions of understanding. Uh, I believe we're I believe again not to put me in a more more an important situation than I am, but I believe this is healing a two thousand year old rift between the Jewish people and the very early church. And to me, even if honestly, Rebecca, even if God didn't call me to do it, it's something that I find so significant historically, theologically, and from which I derive so much satisfaction, I'd be doing it just as just as um, boldly as I'm doing it, even without God calling me. Wow. You know, thank you. And I'm glad there is someone there who, who is doing it now. And we're talking about bridges and gaps. Um, I got an eye opener just off of your Facebook, <laughs> some of your Facebook posts when I've seen some of the responses. Oh. Um, and by the way, the article you had written, it was really good. Um, cause you were basically holding people accountable for, for doing that very thing, looking at Christians as an ATM machine to make money somehow or gain money from them because of their love and they're, they're wanting to give and they're wanting to help. So I thought that was a great article too. And I'm not saying obviously all Jewish people or people in Israel are like that, but you, you call to account those who are. Um, Correct. And, and by the way, and I only account a call to account Jewish and Israeli people because that's where I come from. But when Christian friends started reading the article that you're referring to, not only did they thank me, I didn't, by the way, I didn't publicize it because I felt like it was airing dirty laundry and it's not my job. I wanted just to try and turn the tide. But Christian friends started thanking me and they said, you know, Jonathan, it's not just Jews and Israelis. I said, I know because I watch Christian TV. I get emails. I'm, I'm alert enough. There are a lot of Christian ministries Mm -hmm. that also do the same. And, and that's why the integrity with which I approach this. And, and by the way, that's me personally. But it, but but if I'm being called by God to do something, I have to do it with with um, absolute integrity. And and I'm just trying to raise the level. Maybe others will will change how they do what they do, or maybe not. I don't know. But I'm I'm approaching it with just as much integrity as I possibly can, um, knowing that how significant it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we visit that gap for a little while? Yes, of course. Um, Because what are some of the misconceptions on both sides about the other? Uh, There may be some truths as well that are contributing to this this gap that we have between Christians and Jews. 
Um, well, it's fascinating. I'm in the middle of reading a book that's entitled After Jesus Before Christianity. It was talking about a period of about 200 years um, before the quote, the church became the church. And, and it's a quite a fascinating, um, book. I will say this. I can't, I can't speak to all of the misperceptions and, and lacks of, uh, lack of understanding that Christians have vis-a-vis Jews, but I'll say this and I say it carefully among friends. And so w- what I often say to Christian friends, and I hope that everyone who's listening receives that in in the context in which I'm saying it, a lot of misperceptions or lack of understanding from a Christian side begins with the early church, which was deliberately hijacked from its Jewish roots, even to the core of Jesus being an Orthodox Jew living in the land. You've had many, many things that have come as a result of that. So so I always encourage Christian friends to, to, to inform themselves about what was first century Judaism? What's Judaism today? It's not entirely the same, but it's sure, there's sure a whole lot of similarities. And, and as one good friend of mine said, was talking about supporting Israel. Um, uh, he, he, he spoke about um, comforting Jesus's brethren, referring to us. And that's enlightened. That's incredible. So I hope everyone will from a Christian side, I'm happy to address any specific questions, but from a Jewish side, because of the early anti-Semitism in the church, because unfortunately that's um, trickled throughout the church history, because we've seen pogroms, we've seen um, uh, all kinds of anti-Semitic uh, lies and conspiracy theories that have been portrayed not just by Gentiles, but in fact, by people who who called themselves Christian and and most Christians who I work with today, who I interact with, thankfully don't know that. They don't know that Martin Luther, who changed from a Christian perspective how Christians relate to God, that Martin Luther was also a rabid anti-Semite. A hate, I mean, dangerous more than just words. He actually advocated. That are that we should be that we should be persecuted, we should be killed, our synagogue should be burned, our 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 holy books and the Torah scroll. He, he is scarily so, and it's wonderful that pe- that Christians don't know that, but we do, and we know that there have been many forced conversions and and persecutions of the Jewish people in the name of Jesus over hundreds and uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. So that leads to many Jews looking today at the whole idea of any relationship with Christians as being one of distrust, of being one that we really, why should we even care? What does it matter? Mm -hmm. What you think? Eventually, you're going to have some agenda. And that, that agenda is going to be something to do with end times or trying to convert us or, or affirming various levels of replacement theology, even though that's not even a term that most people, I would say, even know. And so that's part of the problem coming from our side. And maybe maybe just jumping off, going, kind of wrapping up an answer to your question, maybe because of that replacement theology, which began in the early church, maybe that's why 
so many Christians just don't understand. And I don't say that in an accusatory way. I just say that in a matter of fact statement of reality. Yeah, but I have learned that about Martin Luther um, within actually the past year. Um, from what I understand, he, he was angry because the Jewish people rejected the gospel. Right. Yeah, that was the attitude he took going forth from there, which most Christians are going to say, well, that was wrong. That was wrong. And replacement theology, yes, there is a there is a section of Christianity that does um, embrace replacement theology, something I and many others do not embrace at all. So, yeah, and you have Hitler as well, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Who used Christianity, um, God, as, as an excuse to Correct. annihilate millions of Jewish people. So... I, I do understand that there have been mistakes been made by people throughout history that have represented or proclaimed the name of Christ. Yes. And wrongly used it. Um, I mean, that's why we, we have what we call true Christians and false Christians as well within Christianity. You know, right. um, people who just, you can say that I can't. That's not for yeah, me to make. Yeah, exactly. Statement, but, but unfortunately, but, in, the, in the Christian faith. A lot of people believe they're Christians because they grew up in a Christian family or they went to church. And there's so many things in our faith that make people believe that they're Christian. Um, but in our faith, you're, you're not a true Christian just because you go to church or just because you grew up in a Christian family. It's a personal relationship. Correct. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's a huge gap there. There's no doubt. Some real hurts and some perceived hurts. Right. So Correct. you're right. There is a huge gap there. Do you want to talk a little bit about your trip to the U.S. and the church? Yeah, you I'd love to. I just, you went to some places where they were just recently um, destroyed by tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just want to underscore what you were saying, because I don't want hmm. anyone coming away from what I said, thinking that I'm doing so in an accusatory manner. Uh, we can't undo history, but we can certainly shape our future. And that's why you and and people listening and the conversations like this are so so important um yeah as far as my trip it was it was um so nice to be back i hadn't traveled to i hadn't traveled outside of israel for over two years because of the pandemic and a lot of reasons for that but i used to travel um 100 to 125,000 air miles um well, I, get, I can suppose I can give a sh shameless plug for United Airlines because that's I try to keep all my flights with one airline so I can have the benefits, but also because United does so many domestic flights. So I, I currently have a lifetime 800,000 plus miles, but no, none accrued until um, March of 2000, between March of 2020 and March of 20. Uh, 22, and I would do well over 100 nights in hotels because I have the records, not including when I would spend uh, a Shabbat with friends or my relatives or, or what have you. So it was amazing to be able to be back. I'm looking forward to now getting back in that track. I don't love the traveling, living out of a suitcase. As you mentioned, this last trip was a grueling one. It's the longest time I've been away from home ever, three and a half weeks. I slept in 15 different places, averaging 1.6 nights in a different place. 
so that's there's nothing fun about that. But during my trip, I had the privilege of speaking in one, two, three, four different churches. I attended the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, not just as Jonathan Feldstein, Orthodox Jew from Israel and president of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation, but as the correspondent for All Israel News, which is Joel Rosenberg's website, where I'm their only Orthodox contributor, which is fascinating. I, gosh, uh, one of the main reasons you mentioned, Rebecca, going to to places where that had been hit by tornadoes. So people listening will probably remember back in December, there were dozens, maybe more, uh, of tornadoes that touched down predominantly in Kentucky. And I was watching the news from here and praying, what could I do? You know, how can I and we be a blessing? Uh, you know, a lot of people know the root of the Genesis 1, 2, 3 foundation, of course, is Genesis 12, 3. And a lot of people know the first third or at least the first two thirds by heart. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that's the origin. But the third third of Genesis 1, 2, 3 depending on your translation, is the families of the world will be blessed through you. And I feel that that's also our obligation. So I'm sitting in my home in Israel praying about what can I do personally, what can we do as the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation. And over a period of time, since I wasn't traveling anyway, it just became more um, more clear. But you're familiar, I'm sure, and, and many listeners are of the Jewish tradition to put what's called a mezuzah, on our doorpost, which comes Deuteronomy saying God, where God says you should put them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. So we take that literally as a biblical commandment. And if you come into my house, you'll see on every door, a little box. In our case, it happens to be a little gray metal box because it matches the, the decor. And inside is scripture from Deuteronomy that, that affirms why we do that. It's just kind of like a, you know, when people do public speaking, the, the, the common phrase is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So this is sort of that. We've read the scripture. We know the scripture. God says put it on the door. We see it on the door. We, we often walk by it and touch our hand to it and kiss our hand, reminding us of God's word and, and his covenant with us. And that's a, that's a constant reiteration. But I wanted to do something that was going to be meaningful for hundreds or thousands of people in Kentucky whose homes and businesses and churches and schools were devastated. So we created what I'm calling the inside out mezuzah. That's a stunning piece of art depicting what I refer to as my backyard in the Judean mountains here with the scripture in English. We also have a Spanish version and then the scripture below it in Hebrew. And I, it's the only time I'm, I'm not a real type a person, but I plan my trips pretty tight I booked four days in Kentucky, not really knowing where I was going to go or who I was going to see, but just decided to show up and be a blessing. Mm. And from driving into a gas station to asking someone directions on the street to popping in and making a, a where I needed to make a U-turn and popping into a parking lot and then driving by a church and seeing a car in the parking lot. So I turned around and went back to the church and literally dozens and dozens of people, I gave them a beautiful piece of art explaining what it comes from. Everyone knew the scripture. It's a, a very religious place. And it became 
It was certainly a blessing for everybody. Many people said, hey, can I get one for this person? I kind of get, get one for that person. And so I, I used up all of the hundreds that I printed and had to print more the following week. And it was a blessing and did exactly what our intention was. I say our because I have a board and it's a great board of Jews and Christians together, even though I was the one who had the privilege of handing these out. And but I, I came away so inspired. And that was an anchor of my trip. I also spent Purim, which is the uh, the holiday in which we celebrate the book of Esther. I, I spent that doing a fabulous, almost like a TV game show, quiz show um, format with 50 students in a Christian school. Um, gosh, there were so... Uh, so many things over three and a half weeks. I did two or three media events. People wanted me on their TV programs. It, it was a blessing to me. It was amazing to be able to be there. Now, I just want to digress for a minute. You alluded to it before. Um, among the challenges that we have, I know you know this, but it's worth underscoring. Like when you heard about me and said, well, wait, how is this guy, an Orthodox Jewish man who's building bridges with Christians, not everyone is as open-minded as I am among my co-religionists. And I get a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some stuff I've on Facebook. It. Yeah. It, and, and some of it's honestly, it's very personal. It's very offensive. I can live with it. I'm a big boy. It's not, I don't, it's not like I'm weeping over it, but I, I, I think it's important for Christians to see that not, still, not all Jews trust Christians. Not all Jews want to have a relationship. Um, I, I mean, honestly, Rebecca, I even say this. I, I still have five unmarried kids. I'm reasonably confident that one of them is going to bring home a potential spouse at some point who's really uncomfortable with the fact that their prospective father-in-law does what he does mm-hmm. daily and that we host Christian guests in our home. Well, we, did, we used to before the pandemic. We're coming back to that, um, even including our Shabbat meals. So I, yeah, I, my son-in-law is wonderful with it. I can't thank him enough and be more grateful. But there's a lot of pushback. For me, just as living here, there are a lot of blessings, and I'm never more committed to doing what I do, but it's not without lots of negativity. Hmm. Yeah, I did. I did get a taste of some of that, um, some of the comments on your Facebook, especially when they saw that you went into Christian churches. <laughs> Um, yeah, when you yep. were here in the United States and, and it was an, I think I discussed this with you in our pre-interview chat, but it was an eye opener for me because I thought, wow, here I'm like, I love these people, but I guess the feeling isn't mutual. <laughs> um, but again, you just, as we discussed earlier, there are reasons for it. There um, are reasons. And it goes and back a everyone, long, long way. It's a lot of baggage. It's a lot of history. Not everyone, and, and I'm not saying this enough to be self-flattering. It's just not everyone is going to be as open-minded as I am or care. Yeah. And that's all fine. And and I, I just do want to reiter, reiterate this or, or not reiterate, I didn't say it yet. But when I talk about building bridges, it's not a one-way street of Jonathan Feldstein, Orthodox Jew, reaching out to Rebecca and, and people in these, in all of these churches and, and, and people in Kentucky and the Christian school. It's not a one way street. It's gotta be. I have, I have an equal responsibility to help open the eyes. And I use the term carefully, but, but sort of pun intended 
witnessing to my Jewish friends that we're, we're not in the 1500s. We're not in 1938, 39, 41. This is a very different era. And, and there are Christians who love us, who love us unconditionally. And the truth is, it's probably safe to say, I'm not an historian, but it's only since the rebirth of the state of Israel that we've seen this massive flow of, of Christian support growing and growing and growing as it is, because people can't not look at the reestablishment of Jewish sovereignty here in the biblical land of Israel as anything but God, as anything but God fulfilling his promises. And if God's fulfilled all of his promises after 2000, well, it's more than 2000 years, that was since the last exile, then, then all of his promises as it relates to Israel and the Jewish people are true. But it takes t- just the same way all of the bad history took time. It takes some time to unpack. But a lot of my friends, I, I joke, they, they will look at me with three raised eyebrows and and say, you know, you're you're going into churches, you're speaking in churches, you're celebrating Jewish holidays with Christians in Christian schools. They just don't understand and they're suspicious. But then I can have conversations. And then there are those who are less grace, gracious and occasionally you have to block one or two because it's just not nice. <laughs> and so we're going to stop right there. I'm going to, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, you did share with me something about, again, something I did not realize what the Jewish people see or comes to mind when they hear the word Christian or Christianity. So we'll be right back after this message. Are you looking to plan a trip to the Holy Land? Because if so, you're going to want to hear this. The Christian podcast community is planning a trip to Israel for next year. It's going to be February 20th through March 4th, 2023. So it's a 13-day trip. And on the trip, you're going to be joined by CARMS, Matt Slick, Striving for Eternity's Andrew and Yim Rappaport, Mormonism Research Ministries, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, and Biblical Archaeologist Joel Kramer. So a lot of great, wonderful, knowledgeable people. And I've gone on their website and read the details about the trip. And I have to tell you, they are going to some amazing places, places that you will definitely not want to miss. So log on to 2023israeltour.com for pricing information and the travel itinerary as well. Added bonus, if you sign up, before May 31st, you get $100 off the trip. And I highly suggest not putting it off if you really want to go because these slots do fill up fast. So again, 2023israeltour.com. That's 2023israeltour.com. And sign up by May 31st and get $100 off the trip. All right. So anyway, Jonathan, you shared with me something Again, another eye-opening statement from you when we had talked earlier, and that is what the Jewish people picture or perceive when they hear the word Christian or Christianity. What is the image they get when they um, think about the Christian faith? Well, first there's a joke, which you may have heard, two Jews, three opinions, and that's on a good day. So I can't speak on behalf of all the Jews, but I will tell you growing up where I did in a, in a Jewish home in New Jersey and live still today, living most of my life in America. But even after almost 18 years here in Israel, I think most Jews simply don't care 
about Christians and Christianity mm-hmm. and don't have any knowledge of Christians and Christianity with the exception of that every of course the history the baggage but that that Christians and Christianity relate to Jesus and the typical and and actually it's a fabulous question because if you think about it think about the media in America alone where you you have Christians and Christianity often depicted through the image of Catholicism mm-hmm. and a church that would be depicted would be a Catholic church and much more common in a Catholic church than in any of the churches, any of the churches that I've been in and spoken in and, and joined along in worshiping in, you are much more likely to see not just a cross, but a crucifix. And so from a Jewish perspective, when we're commanded and take it pretty seriously, not to make graven images, Jews don't know any better than anyone else in the rest of the world and look at Christians praying to a a, a person on a cross and think, well, that's pretty idolatrous. And then, it, and then if you come here to Israel or if you go to other parts of the world where you have more orthodox traditions, where there are icons, not just of Jesus, but of Mary and other saints, and people bend down and light candles and pray to them. And this is not, I'm not judging. It's not my place. I got a lot, I got enough judgment on my own, on my own to, to worry about. But I'm just trying to explain that Jews look at this and say, whoa, if it walks like idol worship and quacks like idol worship, <laughs> then it's idol worship. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons, one of them, that I get tremendous pushback when I do go into churches because people naturally think that there's some kind of idol worship going on and Jews don't know. And why would they know? They've not gone into churches. First time I went into a church, I was a college graduate from a pretty decent university, pretty open-minded liberal arts college. And I'd never been into a church. I certainly didn't understand Christianity despite my comparative religion courses. And so that's a piece of the puzzle that Jews just sort of instinctively, without knowing any better, look at Christians and Christianity and say, well, there's idol worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I explain to people who will listen, some of them are my friends and some aren't, that most of the churches I go into, well, first of all, none. I don't, I can't, I never ever can think of a crucifix with Jesus on a cross. But many of them don't even have a cross. Mm-hmm. And if and if there is a cross, it's not necessarily front and center. It's not, there's no implication as if you were in a Buddhist um, monastery that you're actually praying to an idol. It's the furthest thing from idol worship. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, much of Christianity does not um, consider the Catholic faith Christian. There's a lot of debate. In that, not saying that people don't believe that there are Christians within the Catholic Church, but beca- because of that, many do feel that Catholicism is idolatrous. Um, so again, again, you have divisions, right? Even amongst Christians, where all Indeed. these things um, come into play. So again, God is the ultimate judge. The point is, is that this is what they see, um, yeah. and. Of course, they're going to draw those conclusions when they when they do see that. I mean, for me, the cross, the cross is not specifically something I 
I pray. I pray to God in the name of Jesus. For me as a Christian, the cross is a symbol of my salvation, um, the way in which Christ obtained it for me. That That's what it is. And, and I understand that. In the, <laughs> it's, right. a symbol, it's a symbol. Like to me, actually, for, for me as a Christian, the big thing would be the empty tomb. Ah. You know, that's because none of that would have mattered if Jesus hadn't come back from the dead. If he didn't defeat oh. death, well, then none of us would defeat death. That's really, the significance you know. of how Jesus yeah. died, that he was crucified yes. and everything yeah. in the, uh, in the narrative of how that's depicted in the new Testament yeah. it, it is inseparable, but you're not worshiping the cross. The cross is a significant symbol of, of his death. And then, as you said, the, 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 the empty tomb that, I mean, that's, that's where things get, get, get shake, shaken up pretty well, because that's where you start to see miraculous. Yeah, exactly. You know, what, what good would the cross have done if he died and that was that Bingo. for us, you Bingo. know, then he would have just been man. And, but anyway, so yeah, but it's understandable. I, I, I can totally understand why they would feel that way and why they would think that misperceptions on, on both sides. Of, of that bridge, but what are some specific things that Genesis one, two, three foundation does to help foster the, the relationship between Christians and Jews? Great. Thank you for asking. So as, as much as I um, d- cried out against the whole fundraising as a relationship, of course, there are things that we do raise money for and give people the opportunity to participate. Um, we recently launched a campaign to help people in and refugees from Ukraine, whether they're Jewish or not. I felt it was important that we should do that. And one of the things about which I'm especially proud is that part, as part of that, we're also um, helping the families of the remaining seven, 17 righteous Gentiles from Ukraine, uh, typically Christian, but not exclusively non-Jews who saved their lives, who put their own lives um, rather on the line to save Jews during the Holocaust. There used to be originally after the Holocaust, there were about 2,600. There are only 17 who are left alive. So that's real important for me hmm. to, as a Jew, as a Jew who, who had many relatives murdered in the Holocaust that we do as well. And, but the reason I did it, in fact, I resisted doing that at all. Because I realized then a lot of people were raising money to do this and do that and just quickly throwing in the Ukraine word and were doing so without a lot of integrity or standing to do anything um, substantial. And I felt, gosh, any money that I could raise that I knew was actually going to go to a good cause rather than just going into a bank account somewhere with someone even with good intentions looking to, to try to figure it out afterward that that was important for, for us to do. And, and a whole lot of projects, we just got a lovely donation and, and the end of April is um, Holoc- Israel's Holocaust Memorial Day. So we've been doing things to bless Holocaust survivors and, and a whole wide range of things. Anyone can go and look at the Genesis 123 Foundation website to see a list of the various things, but it's not all about fundraising. So one of the first projects, the first big project that we launched in 2018 is called Run for Zion. And Run for Zion is the first, and as far as I know, the only Christian program around the Jerusalem Marathon. 
And I want to qualify. Everyone now knows I'm an Orthodox Jew, not a Christian. I'm also not a runner. So I refer to marathon as the M word. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be a runner to participate. You can walk five or 10 kilometers or just sit on the sidelines with Jonathan. And which is important when you have a major international event that has 40,000 participants, that there should be people cheering on the sidelines. And the fabulous thing about Run for Zion is that it really is a Christian experience, but I hijack a little bit of it. So we do a traditional Friday night Shabbat dinner. We go and see sites that are significant, but more than that, we interact. People are connecting with Israelis. It's not simply an on the bus, off the bus, on the bus, off the bus, traditional pastor's trip. Um, We do give people the opportunity to raise money. That's normal, both as a marathon type event, as well as something that is even a a bit of a missions trip. And, but we don't require it. And, And the neat thing about it, one of the neat things is that it gets very biblical because our commitment is the more money people do raise, if they choose to raise money, they become eligible for um, subsidies that can even make the trip free. And that, I say it's biblical because that's a very tangible, material way of of having a blessing for people who are materially blessing Israel. And that's important. And, and God willing, we'll be reviving it. I haven't updated the website, but people are welcome to look at runforzion.com and join us in March of 23. But because of the pandemic and everything going virtual, we went virtual too. So you mentioned earlier, I have the podcast, Inspiration from Zion. I'm so blessed that after the first eight months, we had over 100,000 downloads. It was more than double what they told me to expect in the first whole year. So I'm excited about that. That came out of our webinar series, also called Inspiration from Zion. And the Inspiration from Zion webinar series also spun off what what is our not consistent enough but very very impactful um, global prayer for Israel, where Jews and Christians come together typically around the biblical feasts and pray together, pray together for Israel. And the first of these, Rebecca, I don't remember if I told you, but the first of these blew me away. It was a thirteen hour nonstop event that began in China in Chinese. And and I know your listeners are going to get this. There were Christians from underground churches praying publicly for Israel on live Zoom, and which was which was then went to uh, uh, Facebook and YouTube, praying openly as Christians for Israel. I don't think that mm. ever ever happened. And wow. that was the beginning, and that went for two hours, and then we kept moving west. So we had two hours of prayers in India, in Hindi, and in. English and then moved to Israel and Africa and Europe and jumped across the ocean and, and of course did Spanish and English, but we wrapped it up with prayers in Hawaii and Alaska in native languages of Hawaii and Alaska that I, as an American born, uh, public school graduate never even heard of. And it went on for 13 hours and that was so successful. People begged for more. So we've done a whole, series of these. Um, this year, uh, there's so many other things, and I'm happy to explore more of them with you and anyone who wants more information. But this year, we're really committed to tapping into a situation and dr- addressing a situation that's scary for, I think, is scary and should be scary for us all. 
there were two studies released last year showing a significant drop of support for Israel among young Christians. And mm. in the same decade in which we saw that drop of support by 50%, we mm. also saw an investment of millions and millions of dollars to bring young Christians on trips to Israel. Mm-hmm. And something's not working in that formula if with all of that investment, you're still seeing a drop. So, and, and, and I want to say this, and, and you and I are, are now new but old good friends, and you'll understand where it's coming from. Of course, I'm concerned about mm-hmm. how that relates to Israel. In fact, mm-hmm. it's unimaginable to me that there mm-hmm. won't be tens and hundreds of millions of Christians like you who always support Israel, who always understand the biblical significance of Israel. But if something isn't done, we actually could see in a generation or two or three that all unraveling. And that's bad for Israel. But I have to say, and I and I and I don't know too many other Orthodox Jews, if any, who will also say that's really bad for the church. Because if yeah. young Christians are are not understanding the biblical significance of Israel, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. then they're not understanding the Bible and they're not and they're not understanding their relationship with God in the relationships that God promises and the significance of those going back to creation. And and that's kind of huge and daunting for me as an individual, but incredibly humbling as an Orthodox Jew, where many of my Christian friends say, yeah, Jonathan, you're actually the right person to pull that together because you don't have any denominational baggage. No one's going to look at you and say, ah, well, you're Southern Baptist, or ah, you're, you're this, or you're that. I, I I bring on different baggage for sure, but people yeah. speak openly with me, so yeah. I'm really praying, and I ask that everyone pray with us, and uh, that we're successful, that we figure out what needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. and the top ways in which we can do so. This this dropping away with with the young people. I mean, this has been a work decades in the process, really, um, where the church has dropped the ball. I've had podcast episodes about this. And I don't mean to always, you know, get on the church because I do often get on the church, but there's the true church, which who are really submitted to God and are thriving. They're persevering, but there's those who are Christian in name only. And um, this generation, especially Gen Z, they have no interest in church. They have no interest in, in God at all. The, the culture has permeated the church unfortunately instead of the church here being an example for the culture the the church has succumbed to the culture people have become their own gods people are suffering from it because of the lack of from christian standpoint the lack of the gospel the true gospel of jesus christ being taught in the churches we've we've lost a lot of people and, and you know the bible says there's going to be a great falling away and there there has been a great falling away um, things need to change on our end. I believe that it's more than a remnant, and, and I and I don't believe that it's something that can't be addressed. But it has to be addressed. It can't be Rebecca and Jonathan talking about it. Oh, woe is us, because it is us. We have to actually figure out what are the the, the three, four, five main reasons, mm-hmm. and approach it collectively from an interdenominational approach mm-hmm. and come up with the top three, four, five solutions. 
And, and it might not be perfect. It might not just be always hitting the nail on the head, but if nothing we ever is this, right. But if we don't do this, then we do know what's going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. If we stay the same course, absolutely. And getting them to Israel, I think is, is one wonderful thing. I agree with that. Um, you know, seeing the, seeing the Bible come alive. Yes. Yeah. I hope you can, you can do that. But again, it's, it's, we've lost our, our focus on our love of the truth, you know? So that was an eye opener when you just said that about the young people with Israel. That's very interesting, but not surprising. Yeah. What is your web address for Genesis one, two, three, Genesis one, two, three dot co and run for Zion dot com. Okay. Beautiful. And your podcast again is podcast is called inspiration from Zion and I can be reached at inspiration from Zion at gmail.com. Beautiful. Any other ways that people can find you or. Oh, good Lord. Well, yeah, now I'm sure that some people while they're listening have now looked at me, looked me up on Facebook because they want to see all those horrible comments that I get. (laughs) Um, uh, but, but through Genesis one, two, three and through run inspiration from Zion and run for Zion. I think we have, uh, Facebook, Twitter and, Instagram uh, accounts for all of those. Um, Facebook is the one that I happen to use most religiously for good and for bad. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to share or add that maybe I've missed here or? Wow, Rebecca. I mean, I'm sure. I know you could go on, right? (laughs) No, we could go on. But first of all, as somebody who hosts a podcast, I really have to compliment how you host yours and, uh, and underscore what a privilege it's been and how grateful I am. Um, no, this is the beginning of a dialogue that we could go on for days. And, and I, I invite people to connect on that level and, and pray that I can be part of widening the dialogue and building those bridges. Um, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you, uh, reaching out and giving me this privilege. Well, thank you. I'm very much blessed to have been able to share this with my listeners Oh, I know what I'd like you to share with me. I I saw this as I was watching, um, I follow Relaxing Walker on YouTube, who goes around Israel with his GoPro. And last year he was, he was on a bridge somewhere. I don't remember where it was during, it was the Holocaust remembrance and the sirens went off and traffic stopped. Everyone got out of their cars. Yeah. It, it, you, you're correct in what you're saying. It, it it happens on our Holocaust Memorial Day, which this year is at the end of April, and and it also happens on our National Memorial Day for those who have been um, lost in war and terror. Maybe that was what I was watching. Um, I don't. Well, know. Well, you see it, you see it. It happens both times, and there's a siren. Uh, for two minutes. And typically you're right. People will, will, will stop what they're doing, whether they're sitting in their office by themselves or if a whole class is in the middle of a lecture or a lesson in elementary school or cars driving on the highway. People will stop and stand at attention silently. Yes. yes. For, for two minutes. And it's haunting. Two minutes is a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it it's quite haunting, and it's quite meaningful. Um, it, it 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 underscores 
unfortunately, some of the modern things that we've had to deal with, which is kind of where we began our conversation with the with the state of terrorism here, that that are the realities of life in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I know God said He was going to bring us back. I didn't see anywhere he was going to say he was going to make it always easy for us. So we, mm. we, we received that and we, we, we still live our lives to the fullest, but we have to do so honoring those, whether they were killed in a war or, or terror act or as, as uh, among the 6 million Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust. Yeah, that was quite the moment for me. And as I sat there watching everything come to a halt yeah. And people standing outside their cars and, you know, pedestrians. And that really, that stuck with me when I saw that. Is it for, for a very good reason. For a so, very good reason. God bless Israel. You know, you've, you've been through a lot, I know. And again, you are in our prayers. And Jonathan, if there's anything else through this podcast that I can do to help, to help Israel, to help the Jewish people. Don't hesitate to ever reach out, but I thank well, you. Well, for now it. that you've said it, Rebecca, we're going to create the One Little Candle uh, Run for Zion team, and, and we'll set up a landing page and invite you to invite all your listeners to come and join you. There you go. That Yeah, that would be great. What an honor. But I can't thank you enough for sharing your heart, sharing your ministry, and I pray for peace for you, for your family and and what they're going through over there. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you as well. We're blessed. You take take care, Jonathan. You too. Thank you, Rebecca. All right. Bye-bye. Again, thank you so much to Mr. Jonathan Feldstein for coming on here and taking the time to share with the One Little Candle community all about Genesis 123 Foundation. Such an unusual ministry, but a very, very important one for sure. If you'd like to email Jonathan, you can reach him at firstpersonisrael at gmail.com. You can also follow Genesis 123 Foundation on Facebook or log on to their website at genesis123.com. Also, Jonathan had mentioned Run for Zion. So if you'd like to do something like run for Zion. I am going to start up a team, a run for Zion team for next year. So if you'd like to participate, join by, by going or being a part of the team and supporting me, um, please check it out at runforzion.com. Um, give me a couple of weeks to get myself up and going <laughs> with it, but I invite you to do that. We can help Israel. We can be a blessing. It's just another avenue, I think a great avenue to actually participate and be a blessing to Israel, be a blessing to the people of Israel as well. I'd really love to have you as part of my team, as part of One Little Candle's team, doing our part, right, to just bring God's light to the Jewish people and to Israel. So let's be that one little candle this this week. Let's keep Israel in our hearts and in our prayers, the Jewish people in our hearts and in our prayers. Um, Let's be the light that God has called us to be. And of course, let's pray for Jonathan and his ministry. It's not an easy thing that he's doing, as you heard. Um, There's a lot of wide gaps to be bridged. So please keep him and the ministry in your prayers. And I have a really great song. It is called 
Zion, and it's by Aaron Schust. It's on YouTube. I will leave the link in the podcast description. Please watch it on YouTube. The video to it is wonderful, but it's it's a video about God's eternal promise to Abraham and his descendants. Perfect for what we just heard today. If you like this podcast, please follow me. Um, subscribe, leave a review. That's always helpful. Um, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at One Little Candle Podcast. You can also log on to my website, OneLittleCandlePodcast.com. All kinds of goodies there. And if you reach out and get in touch with me on the website as a subscriber, uh, no spammy emails, I promise. As a matter of fact, I don't email as much as I'd like to, but um, I have some goodies that I like to share with my subscribers to help and encourage them in their walk of faith. Um, access to some goodies that you otherwise would not get unless you were a subscriber. So there's there's contact form right there on the website. And there's also a player on my website and you can listen to the podcast right from there and helpful links to ministries and previous podcast guests. So check it out, onelittlecandlepodcast.com. And just a little sneak peek into next week's episode, I am going to be talking to someone from Generation Z. We're going to pick a young man's brain next week, a generation, uh, generation Z-er, as I call them. I'm not sure what they're called, but a wonderful young man. I think you'll see why when you tune in next week, but 20 years old and just thought I'd pick his brain about a lot of hot topics and cultural and controversial issues, because I believe as bad as some things are for this generation, um, it's a lost generation for sure, but there is hope. And I'd really like to share that with you. So come on back for that one. All right, my friend, until next time, you take care and God bless.